And I used to blame God for a lot of my struggles, a lot of my pain. But what I didn't, it was unfair of me because I never allowed God to speak what he's already spoken in his word. Once I realized that, my, my reading changed. When I read this book, the 66 books put into one, I spend time with the Father that loves me, that cares for me, that died for me. And friend, dive into this book. Dive, dive in, like, like commune with God. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. continue in the Gospel of John, but tonight we're going to have someone guest teach for us. He was one of you and has been raised up, <laughs> raised up out of the ashes. Now, uh, Brad was part of the refuge ministry here, came through our church. I don't know how. It just seemed like you just ended up here and we just knew you forever. Just kind of happened like that. And then he went to uh, Calvary Bible Institute for a year and now serving in New Jersey with Lloyd Pulley. Calvary Tribal Old Bridge. So tonight he's going to be bringing the word for us. Brad. Thanks, man. We have the same Bible. Um, yeah. As Andrew said, I did get to grow here. Grew up here. Not, no, I grew in the Lord here. And um, I got to turn on my phone because I got to record this for Pastor Lloyd. So if you guys want to say hi to Lloyd, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. so I just got back from the Bible College, actually. Um, Pastor Lloyd's been teaching there, and, and um, everyone's asked me, like, what's, like, the culture shock in New Jersey? You know, it's like, whatever. Um, the one thing that just bugs me so much in New Jersey, and I don't know if it's just a guy thing in New Jersey, um, but they don't know, like, how to use a toothpick or, like, a floss or something. Like, they'll eat food, and you'll be in a, like, later in conversation, they're, like, smacking their, like, I'm like, what? And I, I thought it was just with guys only, but they're doing it with girls there. And it's not just one pastor, multiple pastors on staff. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know? So you guys have your Bible, open up to John chapter 14, verses 1. That was a good transition, right? Uh, this Bible study changed my life. I got to say that. Um, as Andrew said, I did come here. I came in here so broken, so broken from the world. And um, yeah, this, this, this Bible study here transformed my life. And it's cool to see so many new faces here, you know? It was like, kind of like the class kind of like grew up and met, went out and then we have all new people here. So it's pretty sweet. And um, so tonight, if you guys are taking notes, uh, the sermon tonight is called Hope Through the Bro- in the Midst of Brokenness. That's what my sermon title is. And the five points that I'll be teaching in, the first point, if you're taking notes, um, is the effect of sin. My second point is the hope of a future. My third point is the direction to that hope. And my fourth point is the daily walk because of that hope. (laughs) John Randall, where you at? Uh, uh, And then my fifth point and last is the work that's driven from that hope. Now, I did go to Coward Chapel, Costa Mesa. I grew up, went to high school there. I got saved. Um, My senior year of high school, and I was extremely blessed to have Pastor Chuck Smith as a pastor and pour into me, grow, and um, he always did this thing that I, I mean, 
he has everyone stand up before reading the Bible. And I don't know if you guys do that here, but if we can stand up and give reverence to God's word, it is so powerful. And let me get my Bible open. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me pray. Father, Lord, thank you for this time, God, and, and I pray as I'm nervous, Lord, I pray your spirit just to calm me down, God, and, and Lord, I pray for each person in this building tonight, God, I pray your spirit just to minister to them, Lord, and speak to them, and, and God, we just want to see you lifted high tonight, God, and, and I pray for people who came in here with ant or looking for answers, God, broken, hurt, struggling, Lord, I pray that they would find comfort in the grace and mercy that you give us every morning, Lord, so, Father, it's simple. We love you because your word says you love this verse. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John is such a fascinating author. I'm going to take off my jacket because I'm sweating. Uh, John is such a fascinating author, I find. Um, his book and the three epistles he wrote are so powerfully simple. You know, Hence, the, the, you guys' theme is the simple gospel. And... John tells us the purpose of writing John. He says in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There are also other reasons for him writing, too. He says in 1 John, or, or 1 John 1, 4, he says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. He tells us that we can have fullness of joy, and that, friend, is only found in relationship with Jesus in fact, John gets the idea from Jesus. He says, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Also in John 16, 24, he writes, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus also claims a few verses before that your sorrow will be turned to joy. In Maybe that's how you came in here tonight. You came in here sorrowful and broken. I'm here to say that Jesus loves you, you know, as simple as that. He desires to speak and do, do work with you tonight and heal you through his word. And as we look at the first verse of John chapter 14, verses 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In the Greek language, both heart and believe is imperative. So you could interpret that verse saying, I, Jesus is commanding that your heart not be troubled. And I, but you believe in God. I command you to believe in me also. The context for Jesus saying to his disciples is he just got done a chapter before saying that one of them is going to betray him one, and that all of them were going to deny, deny him. Not just Peter. He said all of them. And he also said he was going to leave them that night. And the question is, is, why is there a troubled heart, you know? And that's the, the effect of sin. The effect of sin has caused troubled hearts. It is not a normal feeling to be troubled. We were never supposed to experience this. And 
I was thinking of, uh, I was having dinner um, on Tuesday night with a tax accountant, and one of his clients for 30 years was in the plane that uh, Kobe, the plane crash with Kobe Bryant dying. And we were just discussing and talking about it, and we're like, this just doesn't feel right, you know? It doesn't feel normal. And it was almost unbelievable. And that's, that, that's because that's not right. You're not supposed to feel like that. And another friend of mine, um, his name's Mitch. He's actually sitting in here. Um, we're, we're really good friends. And his story is something powerful. Um, he, went to, he went to play basketball in Pennsylvania. Um, and from what he's told me, he said God put a calling on his life to play pro basketball and use it as a ministry. And he grew out his hair until that promise was completed. And those of you who knew him prior to going to play pro ball, his hair was beautiful, luscious, um, jelly of it. Um, and when he went to Argentina, he won the championship there. And he was starting point guard, and he earned the name Dali Campion from there on. Uh, <laughs> and there is video of Dali Campion, Dali Campion. It's awesome. But the next year's season, he lost all cartilage in his knee. And the thing he trained so hard for, he had to come back to the States. And prior to actually playing pro basketball, he played semi-pro in, in San Diego, and he was the assistant varsity coach at J. Sarah um, for basketball. And we were talking uh, the other day, and now he's the assistant on the freshman B team at J. Sarah. <laughs> but um, I, I really wish we could just record our conversations, because he's ministered so much to me in my life. and and. Even being in ministry, his ministry outside the, the four walls of the sanctuary is so powerful. And it's been such a blessing to see him. Like, he's literally so humble in it. And b before, God healed him two times to play pro, pro basketball. Healed him between some calf strain, and his agent was there, and he scored 34 points. Agent signed him. Went to Argentina. His, he had gnarly foot. I don't know what it was. Gnarly everything, and God healed him. You know, And he's like, dude, I was like, how are you going to get cartilage back in your knee? He's like, you don't get cartilage back in your knee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's been amazing to see him place trust in God. And that's what just ministering to me. Because I'm in this season of life where it's been extremely difficult for the past two months in my life. I've literally read Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, for two months straight. It's like, God, like, I need that, you know? And literally, the, the, the other passage of study is John 14. So it's been a blessing. Andrew gave me this passage. And the first verse is, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's been such a ministry to me. And I find Jesus comforting a lot of people in, in Scripture. And I think of examples, Martha, Martha, the brother of, or the sister of Lazarus, and Lazarus dies. And in John chapter 11, verses 25 to 27, Jesus is comforting her. He's saying, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And the question he asks her is a, the commandment he gives to the disciples. And he says, do you believe this? And her response is, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who's come into the world. Um, I'm reminded of David. In Psalm 43, 5, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted, disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You see, David is saying we need to place hope in God. We need to place hope in God. And the world's hopeless. I, I got the opportunity to, um, in our town, we have a, a fellow brother at the church who owns funeral homes. And um, once a year, he hosts something at, his, at the funeral home for Christmas. And um, if you lost a loved one that year, 
you got to come to the church. Or he gives you an ornament. He invites you over. gives you dinner. Santa Claus there. It's sweet. But I got to represent the church there and, and speak at that. And it was so, it was so crazy to, to speak in front of 60 people just, just crying, bawling, hurting. And what I did was, in the East Coast, it's so heavy Catholicism-based, so heavy, like, religious, religion, 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 system, system, pattern. And what I did is I, I came to the pulpit. I shut my Bible, and I went, I went in front of them. And I said, just because I'm on staff at a church, just because I'm in pastoral ministry, it does not uh, escape me from struggle. I'm in here broken just like you. It's been 18 years since I haven't had my parents at Christmas. I'm just as struggling with you. I was, I was crying there with them. But I pointed them to God. I pointed them to Jesus. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And I think we can have this mis- um, understanding of, of God and saying that just because I believe in God, all my problems are gone. You know, there's going to be no trouble. There's going to be no heartbreak. And, you know, Jesus also promises suffering and, and persecution and also tribulation. But the world has no answer for trials and struggles, but Jesus takes us through them. He, takes, he walks us through them. He walks side by side. He actually walks in the valley of the shadow of death with us. And um, that is so powerful. And I, even when I was coming here, driving here, I have my uncle's car, and all he has is a satellite radio, and, and I'm listening to this country, country song because I live on a farm now, and I guess I'm a farmer now. Um, so I must listen to country. Um, and, uh, this, the song was Beer Can Fix Anything. And I'm like, gosh, I remember where I used to think that. You know, and, and the world tries to escape. The world tries to escape problems, you know. And I was telling Andrew the other day, the worst part about Christianity is you can't escape your problems. You have to walk through them, you know. And um, you walk through them. And so we see the troubled heart is an after effect of sin. But I'm so happy Jesus doesn't just say that. He says, believe in me, and he just bounces, you know. And we know, we know he doesn't. We know Jesus is so, this is the day before he's going to be crucified, you know. And he's, he, he is so passionate. Like, when he, when he claims imperative, like, he is so emotional behind this. That's why the Greek language is so beautiful. He is so dead serious. And let's look at verse 2. And the second point is hope of a future. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, that you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. We see throughout the Gospels, um, speaking of the end times, we see in Matthew, uh, is chapter 24, all of that discourse. Mark, it's chapter 13. Luke, it's chapter 21. John doesn't really have a set time where he's like, I'm, Jesus is going to talk about the end times. You know, in, in Matthew, they're like, wait, show us the end times. Jesus goes through it. Um, but I believe John, in his simplicity, this is his little portion of the end times. We see as Calvary chapels, a uh, little distinctive behind us is we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And I would say I struggled early on as a Christian to, um, I was a pre-trib because Calvary Chapel was a pre-tribulation rapture believer, because Chuck Smith, because John Randall, Andrew Newman, you know, I had no answer for it. And um, the reason why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture is because actually this portion of scripture mainly is because Jesus, when he's speaking in his father's house or many mansions, um, in the Jewish culture, when a groom would betroth the bride, he would leave the bride and go to his father's house and he would prepare a place, build a house upon. 
And once he was done, the father would come and check it out. And then once he was done, he would go and get his bride. Now, Jesus is saying concerning that day, I don't even know, only my father in heaven knows when I'm coming back. The purpose of him saying that is because even the groom didn't know when he was coming back. Because the groom would make a house half built, half worked, and the father would be like, oh, that's broken, that needs to be fixed, that needs to be fixed. So he had to go back. So, but the bride had to be ready at all times. And that's, the re- that's why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, because the church has to be ready at all times. And if you're mid-trib, post-trib, you have to say that you come back and you, you got to come back down. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to take you to my father's house. That's a completely different thing. There's no stoppage. It's straight to the father's house. But um, I would have to say, <laughs> Andrew and Zach know me way too much. And when I was saved even to Bible college, if you disagree with me, I would take my Bible and beat you in the head with it. And um, um, I have been so humbled by God. I have been so humbled. I, I can say without a shadow of doubt, one of my best friends is a five-point Calvinist and a, and a covenant theologian. And I'm not a Calvinist, but if you're a Calvinist a year ago, I wouldn't talk to you, you know, or I would go after fighting. But I would say, <laughs> just read scripture for yourself. Own your own doctrine. Own your own theology. Acts 17, 11, Paul commends this group called the Bereans. And he actually commends them over Thessalonica because they searched the scripture to see if what he was saying were true. And if the Bereans checked Paul the apostle, we should check John Randall. We should check Lloyd Pulley. You should check me, everybody. You know, Read scripture for yourself. That's my own encouragement. And let's have fellowship. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. And I've been humbled, crazy. Don't do what I did. Um, now, back to hope of a future. The reason why it's a hope of a future is because that is a, a time later in future <laughs> that Jesus is speaking of. And actually, speaking of the Father's house, I always thought that song, like, I got two tickets to paradise. Back here. I usually thought that was about that passage, you know, but it's actually, it's actually not. It's kind of embarrassing. That wasn't even funny. Um, uh, um, when I was praying about this passage of scripture, God really spoke to me and says, who's the father? Who's the father? What makes it a hope? What makes it hope? And for me, the heavenly father, my parents died when I was two years old. My dad murdered my mom and then he committed suicide. And so I grew up fatherless. I grew up angry. I struggled with death my whole life. And Psalm 685 says, God's a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows is who God is in his holy habitation. And in Romans 8, absolutely transformed my life. And a little actually side fact, it was pretty cool. Last time I was in California, I lost this picture of my dad. And uh, I found it back here in California before this. It was pretty cool. <laughs> in Romans, Romans 8, verse... Um, in Romans 8, I believe it's uh, verse, I don't know the verse, but it says, for those who are led by the Spirit are called children of God. And that spoke so massively. And in our weakness, we cry out, Abba, Father. And I remember sharing a Bible college. I said that verse spoke so powerful to me. And then my friend came right after me, and she shared verse 38 ministered to her. Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ our Lord. And I remember 
the Holy Spirit spoke so clear to me. He's like, you're separated by your biological father, but you'll never be separated by your heavenly father. And that, I just cried during class. It was gnarly. Um, but friend, who's the father to you? Were you the prodigal son? And the father comes and he kissed you. And actually in the Greek, it's emphatic. He lavishes the prodigal son with kisses all over. Was that you? Or were you the, the other brother who said, wait, why aren't you throwing a party for me? You know, and, and he says, Father, I haven't disobeyed you at all. But with that statement, he actually did not have the heart of the father for his son. Um, so reflect on that. What is, what is the father to you? And you own that. God wants to speak to you. I have a saying. I'm always like, my God says this. My God says this. And everyone's like, how's it your God? It's our God. I'm like, oh, it's my God. You know, uh, but, um, I'm just a troll. But uh, the, thir- the, uh, the third point is the direction to that hope. How do we get to that hope that Jesus is speaking of? Well, we look at verse four and five. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going or how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Man, I love Thomas. You know, I feel like Thomas is like the guy in the friends group who's always like taking the fall for everybody. You know, like, how about you say it? You know, you, you're the guy, you know, and, and um, but without Thomas, we wouldn't have like sayings like this. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Without Thomas, we wouldn't have Jesus saying, actually better if you, have, if you believe and have not seen, you know. Um, what a powerful, powerful thing Jesus is claiming to be. And this is, this statement right here has transformed cultures, transformed societies for 2,000 years. And it separates Jesus from every single human God, little God, false God, Muhammad, everything. And I have a brother at the church. He just got saved within a year ago, and his whole family got saved. And he's an ex-Jehovah Witness. And um, he was a pastor elder, actually, in the Jehovah Witness. He was leading conferences of 8,000 Jehovah Witnesses. So he was super duper high up. And I was like, Vashon, like, yo, bro, how'd you get out of the J-dubs? You know, like that. Like, <laughs> how'd you get out? And he's just like, he's like, man, he's like, Trinity. That's what he said. He said, I could not explain the Trinity. And his wife like butted in. She's like, yeah, the Trinity wasn't true. We're just burning our Bibles. You know, so it's uh, <laughs> funny story. When the elders of the Jehovah's Witnesses came to excommunicate him at his church, he shares this story. It's so powerful. Um, a, lot of ex- a lot of people, when they lo- leave the cult, they go into like drugs and psychedelics and all this like, crazy stuff. But since they're in the church now, the elders were like, this is just a weird, really weird situation. Um, you are still following after God, uh, but we don't know what to do. You're just excommunicated. We just want to pray for you. And the top elder, when he prayed, um, he coughed out um, these words, and he did not mean to say them. He said, Father, thank you that they love Jesus more than they did prior. And he's like coughing it up. And like the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and he was just like, that is so crazy. You know, I was like, Dude, when the Holy Spirit does stuff like that, it's like, man, I wish I was there. Uh, but... Um, by Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, it separates him from everything and everyone, right? Jesus, apologetically speaking, Jesus claims, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That is so, so powerful. And so many people today are trying to discard that. So many people are trying to change that. Um, why not allow Jesus to defend himself? There's over 5,000 New Testament manuscripts, some that date from 40 to 70 AD. There was 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus after he resurrected. There was 
12 disciples that were just brutally murdered, killed. Paul was beaten behind everything. And you're going to tell me they had motive to, to write and lie about this? Jesus didn't say there are many ways. He said there was one way. He said narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. I love what Pastor David Guzik says. He said, Jesus didn't claim that he would show us a way. He said that he is the way. He didn't promise to teach us a truth. He said that he is the truth. Didn't offer us the secrets to life. He said that he is the life. What a paradox it is when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and his way would be to the cross, and that he would be blameless, but convicted by blatant liars, and that he would... He, he, his body would lie lifeless in a tomb. Why did he do that? It's joy, even though that's such a crazy answer. It's joy. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't it almost backwards? Like, it's like backwards with that verse now. Now it's saying he, uh, and he endured the cross, and he, he endured the cross. So Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now in, the, in, the, in Hebrews, he's saying he endured the cross, so he died, and then he despised the shame, truth, and then now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now Jesus is the way to the throne of God. Jesus was despised the shame, even though he was truth, and then he was crucified. And it's, I, I thought that was so fascinating that he had it backwards, because that's awesome. I don't think you guys got it, but I got it. <laughs> um, the fourth point is the daily walk because of that hope. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you have not you have yet not known me, Philip? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now, when Jesus says, have you not known me? Um, obviously, they knew who he was. But a lot of times through biblical um, teaching, a bit, through the Bible, it's always speaking of known. I foreknew you. I remembered you. Um, the word known through Messianic teachings and, and, and Messianic Jews will say that the word known is speaking of relationship. He's speaking of relationship. And when Jesus is saying, you have, if you have a relationship with me, you have a relationship to the Father. And so the daily walk from that hope is having a relationship with God. We daily have a relationship with him. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Did Jesus not know like who they were head knowledge-wise? No, he's, he's, he knows everything. So he's speaking, I didn't know you relationship-wise. So we can have direct relationship with the Father through Jesus. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that man is Christ Jesus. Now, when explaining the Trinity 
It is something that people have tried to explain throughout ever. Um, it is so hard and so complicated to understand because you're trying to understand God and we can't do it. God's way is higher than our ways. The way I understand the triunity is there are so many three-in-ones in this universe. The universe is, uh, is made up of time, space, and matter. We are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Interesting fact, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created time, the heavens, space, earth, material. It took thousands of years for scientists to figure out what the universe is made up, but the Bible had it way before them. Boom. Come on now. Uh, uh, so, Holy Spirit is not worshipped throughout the scripture, but the Holy Spirit is, you can, you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. You cannot lie to something that's abstract. You cannot lie to something that is, I can't lie to this table, you know? It has to be a he. It has to be a person. So, What's the Holy Spirit's job? He draws us to the Son. The Holy Spirit draws. Now, the Son, for what he did on the cross and the atonement and the propitiation for our sins, we get to the Father now. So the Son brings us to the Father and he glorifies the Father through relationship with him. I don't understand it. You know, I, I cannot understand the triunity. It's, out, it's through scripture. I mean, if you want to see the first point of the triunity, it's Jesus' baptism, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is all there. Three, three persons in one God. Try to understand that. I can't. Um, in verses 9 through 10, he says, Have I been with you so long, you have not yet known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the words that I speak to you? I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? In, ver in John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of mercy. It's so fascinating about that word dwell in John 1, 14. It can literally be translated as he tabernacled amongst the people. Um, which in Jewish theology, in John 1, there had to be six different... Uh, John hits, in John 1, verse 18, he hits six qualifications to what the logos would be. It's so fascinating when you understand that the one would have to be he tabernacled amongst them. And if you remember the Old Testament, they'd have to go into the tabernacle in order to meet God. You know, the, the high priest that would go in there, and if he was without sin, he would live, and if he was sin, he'd die. You know, they'd pull him on the rope. Very sad. Um, but it speaks of God's holiness, God's perfection. Now, you might be asking, wait, Brad, you just said, if you know me, speaking of relationship, then Jesus said, have you seen me? You've seen the Father. Now, we don't get to see the physical manifestation of Jesus. He's speaking towards Philip there, but that doesn't stop us from having relationship with Jesus and the Father, because Jesus says in John Chapter 20, verse 29, speaking to Thomas again, he says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So in the midst of, uh, you, we get to pursue Jesus while also, and, and Jesus brings us to the Father. I, I can't, I guess, I can't understand it. Jesus is being flesh and, and fully man and fully God. I cannot, we cannot comprehend that. Now, the way we have a relationship with Jesus is through his word, right? Um, we all desire 
for God to speak to us. I remember um, in my brokenness and, and prior to, to salvation, I would lay, lay at my bed super alone and like, God, where are you? You know, I, I want you to speak to me. I desire, I, I hunger for you, but I don't, I don't know where you are. You know, my life has been ripped and, and torn from me and, and I'm reaping the, the consequences of my father, uh, of sin and, and other people. And, and, but, and I used to blame God for a lot of my struggles, a lot of my pain. But what I didn't, it was unfair of me because I never allowed God to speak what he's already spoken in his word. Once I realized that, my, my reading changed. When I read this book, the 66 books put into one, I spend time with the Father that loves me, that cares for me, that died for me. And friend, d- dive into this book, d- dive in, like, like commune with God. You know, we always pray about things, but God's like, maybe I've answered it in my word. You know, and we're like looking for a prayer answered, you know, especially if you think about dating a non-believer, God definitely says, be equally yoked, you know, so there's your answer. Um, but uh, uh, in light of digging into God's word, in light of God speaking to us, my last point is the work that is driven from that hope. Because our work from the Lord must be driven from relationship with him. I hear so many stories of people burning out in ministry and, and quitting and, and it's because they did not, they, they did it out of their own strength. They did it out of their own strength. And um, we must be in tune with God's word for the work we're going to do. In verses 11 through 14, Jesus says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the work themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the work I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you've asked anything in my name, I will do it. We see Jesus is telling his disciples, in verses 10 and 11, he's describing the work that he does because of him being in the Father. Now, because now in verses 12 through 14 is where people take it way out of context, way, 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 way too, too far. We see in verse 12 to 14, Jesus says, most surely I say to you, he who believes in me, the work that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So many people read that verse and they're, man, we're gonna do greater works than Jesus, you know? We're gonna do amazing things. And, but if you read the verses before, Jesus says, um, most assuredly I say to you, he believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. So there, if we're speaking of a greater work than Jesus did, Jesus isn't speaking of that. He, he, he's speaking of miracles because the Father is doing it through him anyways. So when Jesus says, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. When we do work, the Father does it through us also. And when he says in verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that is not the free ticket to do whatever or ask whatever. Or, but because the Son's purpose is that the Father may be glorified. That's the question. 
is what I'm asking, glorifying to the Lord. And that should always be our prayer. Father, how do I glorify you? God, how do I, how do I have a relationship with you? How do I glorify you? And we see in verse 14, again, he says, ask anything in my name, I will do it. And that is such a powerful, powerful, powerful statement because Jesus' promises are yes and amen. And if we ask anything to glorify him, he will do it. And this has been such a, an amazing portion of text. We see the first point, the effect of sin. We see that's the product of, of disobedience with God. It's the product of Adam and Eve falling. And God's desire has always been to have relationship with us. I believe, um, it's subjectively, but I do believe that God did not save us from hell, but God saved us to have relationship. That's the main purpose, is to dwell and have relationship with us, with human beings. And then when we get to heaven, we're going to have full relationship because we're still in these sinful bodies. God's redeeming this. And then the second point, the hope of a future. We see in John 14, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I will go there, and then I will come and return to you and get you under myself. That's a hope I long for, right? We, 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 all the brokenness, we long to, to, to receive that. We long for Jesus to come back for his bride. Then the third point, the direction to that hope is Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Every answer to every question, as simply as it is, is Jesus. We lead people to Jesus. We, Jesus commands us to make disciples. And the simplest term or simplest definition of making disciples is guiding people to Jesus. And I think the church has lost sight on discipling the world. I think we lost sight on it. Jesus discipled Judas, and Judas wasn't saved. We must have relationship with the world. We're called to be salt, we're called to be light, and we're called to guide people to Jesus. Be vested in people's lives. Because that's what people did to you, right? I mean, did, did someone not just pour into you? And, and, and when you look back, I was discipled. I think of many people who, who in, after my baseball coach's death, that's my cousin's death, they were all there. And even when I wasn't saved, I was walking away from the Lord, they were still pouring to me. They will still hang out with me. You cannot clean a fish until it's caught. We see the world acting like the world. Do not try to clean it. Make sure, let Jesus clean that fish, you know? Um, and then the fourth point is the daily walk because of that hope. We get to have relationship with God. We get to have fellowship with the creator of the universe. That right there cannot comprehend in itself, you know? And how do we have that daily walk again? It's through his word. It's through spending time with him. God longs to speak to us, but we must allow him to speak through his word. And then the fifth point again is the work that is driven from that hope. God's, God wants to do amazing things, right? Ephesians 2.10 Ephesians 2 says, we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus, created for good works beforehand. God's thoughts towards us in Jeremiah 29.11 are of a future and a hope, you know, not of evil. And God desires to do amazing things, but we must, it must stem out of relationship with God. My work is what, what filthy rags the Bible says. It must be from hope. Friend, if you don't, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this hope, and I, I, I urge you, I plead with you to, to, to know God, to, to 
I mean, to experience God is, is so fascinating. Because in John 3, 16, we love that verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the word there is agapeo, right? Uh, godly love, unconditionally love. We love it. Verse 19 in John 3 says, men love the darkness rather than light. And the word there is agapeo also. And God has created us to have this, that he created us in his image and with his love, I believe, that we can only be satisfied in relationship with him. That's why people go from vice to vice to vice. In John chapter 4, with Jesus speaking at the woman at the well, right, this woman has five husbands, and the person she's with is not her husband. She, and Jesus says to her, you drink from my well, and out of the abundance of your heart will flow ever, everlasting rivers of waters. Mm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for your word. God, Lord, thank you for speaking to us. God, thank you that you died on the cross for us. Thank you that your grace and mercy God is new every morning, Lord. And Father, I pray for anybody here, Lord, who has been struggling, Lord, having a hard time um, in life, Lord, whether it be trials, whether it be suffering, whether it be people, Lord, I pray that they would find comfort in you as you say in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, that you are the God of all comfort, Lord. We long for you to come alongside us, Lord. We long for you to be with you, Father. So as we're here in this earth, may we be salt and light, God, for the world that you love or that you desire no man to perish, but everybody come to everlasting life, Lord. So Father, we love you simply, Lord, because you loved us first, God. I ask this in your son's name. Amen.